Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller. We are Talking Money today. Specifically, we're talking about beneficiary designations. This is part two. So if you missed part one, you need to go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and you'll pick up the first set of ideas that we talked about. And I was impressed. My son David was on his way back from Alabama from a job site that he was working on down there, working coming back late and talked to him this morning when he picked up the grandkids that we were had the privilege of watching for the night. And he actually mentioned several things that, that I talked about. I was really surprised that he would listen to dear old dad driving on the way back late at night. It might just put him to sleep. We want to keep awake on the road. But uh, a couple of things that, that uh, I wanted to reiterate that he mentioned, and it's very important. We talked about this last week, so you want to go. And I'm not going to cover everything we talked about last week because we got a lot more to talk about today that we didn't get to last week. But you want to make sure that you understand that your life insurance beneficiary, 401k beneficiary, IRAs, of course, have a beneficiary, and annuities have beneficiaries. Those are most of the documents and type of assets that we have that have beneficiaries. Those name beneficiaries, those are contracts separate from your will. So whatever your will says, unless you specifically name that document in there, in the will, and name those in there, and you and you coordinate that with your IRA beneficiaries, it's not going to be based on what your will says. It's going to be based on what the contract says. And I think, as I told him, as he, as I said last week, I think I could say this every week, and it still would not sink into people that don't understand that the will document, what you say in the will, where you say you want your assets to go, doesn't matter when it comes to your IRA beneficiary. That is, that's going to go where your IRA beneficiary says it's going to go. Your life insurance, same thing. It's going to go where your life insurance wants it to go. So if you have something set up in your will that says, I want my kids to get it over time, even as adults at 25, 30, 35, whatever it is you have in there, uh, that's not going to happen if the life insurance names them directly as a beneficiary. It's got to be named to the trust. It's got to go separate from the beneficiary. So you need to keep those in mind. And the same thing with your pensions. If you've got um, a 401k, like I said, your beneficiary, primary beneficiary, contingent beneficiary, if the contingent beneficiary, usually the primary is your spouse. Contingent is oftentimes the children. If it names the children, then that's who it's going to go to. It's not going to be based on whatever your document says. And I want to remind, because we talked about this last week, so I want to remind you today is you, you don't want to unintentionally and disinherit your grandchildren and not your children you may want to intentionally disinherit them but you don't want to intentionally disinherit your grandchildren and where that happens often and it's there again it's not a a an event that's going to happen frequently but we know it does happen so if you have uh, let's say a um an, an ira we'll just use the ira as an example today ira and you name your spouse's primary and you name the three children as primary beneficiary. And that's all you do. So, and if one of those children dies before you and you don't have a time, a chance to change that beneficiary, or don't think about changing the beneficiary. And that child that dies before you or at the same time you do has children. And what you've effectively done is disinherited those grandchildren. Because when you pass away, the only beneficiaries listed are the two other children. And it doesn't say per stirpes it, it's going to be per capita so it's based on the two kids children that are still alive so it's going to go to those two children not the the not the grandchildren or the children of the child that passed away 
or the grandchildren of those. It, it can pass on to multiple generations there. So you want to make sure you put that little language called purse terpies in there is it's it's much cleaner and much except for and we'll talk today about minor children that can be a little bit difficult with minor children it's not impossible but it's a little bit trickier uh, you want to be careful how you name those beneficiaries because you don't want to disinherit someone that you thought you were they were going to get the money and they end up not getting the money because it went to the other two children you think oh well those other two children i'm sure they will they will understand that's not what was supposed to happen and they'll take part of their share. Well, maybe they will, but then there's still tax issues. They've got to get the money out of the IRA that's now in their name, pay taxes on it, and then pass it on to the children, where if it went to the children directly, chances are it's going to be a lower tax bracket and we won't have as many taxes to pay to get the money where you want them to go. So really, I, I, I don't recommend that you ever have money going to, let's say, all one child because you say, oh, that child is the one I trust the one I think will divvy up the money correctly based on what circumstances are going on at the time. And that that sounds reasonable, but there's gift tax consequences, there's tax consequences, a lot of other things going on in, in play there that, that you could mess up and make it worse um, by not going ahead and naming. And just keep, it, keep up the beneficiaries. Keep them up to date. Uh, granted, things could happen at the last minute, but make sure you check them off and make sure you know what they are and, and where assets are going so i wanted to refresh you on those couple of things but we've got some other things we want to talk about and i i really just more or less randomly made a list of these things on a, a little yellow pad and i've been going through them pretty much as i wrote them down um but one of the things that i talked about just a minute ago and last week some was was how to make sure that your assets your iras are paid over time. If you don't want the, like your will might save for the assets to go over time, but of course that's not going to happen if you name them beneficiary. How can you make sure that you protect that beneficiary so that they don't get too much money at one time and then blow it over a certain period of time? Now, some of you may say, and rightfully so, well, if they blow it, that's their problem. I mean, I gave the money. If they blow it, well, then that's too bad. But if you want to protect them, then you just know they need protecting and for some other reason, then you would want to use a trust. So a pass-through trust, an IRA, uh, one that would, that would be set up properly. And this has to be set up by a, an estate planning attorney that really knows what they're doing. Not just any person can set these kind of things up because the language has to be set up correctly to make sure it qualifies as a pass-through trust for an IRA. But then you can pass it on. So it's, it's not necessarily the best tax-wise way, although now that they changed the rules where you have to take it out within 10 years, it really doesn't make as much difference. And of course, your your bypass trust, pass-through trust, can't go any longer than 10 years. There's some exceptions to that and some people trying to get around it, but that's the basic, the basic rule. Last week also talked about the pension pickle. If you didn't catch that, the, the pickle that a, a person got into with their pension plan because they didn't look at the beneficiaries correctly. If you want to hear that because you'd have missed it, then you'll want to go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We've got it posted from last week. We've got a lot of information posted on TalkingMoneyRadio.com that you can find by topics and listen. Each one's about 45 minutes. You can, of course, fast forward as you can play it on all different kind of uh, mediums. So um, fast forwarding, stopping, pausing, whatever it is you need to do. Um, so another quick reminder, life insurance, 401k, IRAs, annuities, they have named beneficiaries. The positive thing is they avoid probate. And sometimes that's all you need to do is avoid probate and the rest of it doesn't need to go through the will um, or through a trust. 
but remember that that can be a good thing but it's not always good if you're trying to put more controls on that then then uh, would would be there if you didn't put those uh, just go to them directly uh, so anytime there's a life change event so someone dies someone gets a divorce uh grandchildren are born that's a that should be a little reminder for you okay it's time to recheck those beneficiaries and make sure that they are the way that we want them based on that and, it, and you, you think somebody gets the divorce they're automatically going to be doing that well it doesn't happen we know of many circumstances when i talk to benefits people at some of the companies we work with that they find that somebody passed away and no, they still had the the ex-spouse as, as beneficiary named on some of these documents and that's just not what you really wanted. I'm sure that's not what the the surviving spouse, current spouse wanted to happen for sure. All right, we get back from the break. We're going to talk some about the, the retirement plan beneficiaries and joint survivor, 100% joint survivor. We, wanted, we talked a good bit of time about the joint ownership uh, tenants in common versus joint ownership with right of survivorship and versus the beneficiary. We want to talk about all those things coming up. But of course, we want to answer your questions. You want to go to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Send an email there or go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and you uh, ask Mike a question. You can ask there as well. We'll pick it up on a future uh, episode of Talking Money. So always wanted to answer the questions that are important to you. We'll be back with a second, second segment of Talking Money in just a couple minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or one 800 588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. And we're coming up at about 19 after the hour. So glad you're with us here on Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. So we're talking about beneficiaries, but we want to hear your questions. What kind of situations are you in? What questions might you have about some certain beneficiaries that you're trying to make and you're not sure if you said they get up right? We want to answer those questions. We want to send a question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. So uh, for the break, I mentioned about retirement plans. So just real briefly, want to just touch on this. So when you have a, for those who still have a defined benefit plan, which is not very often anymore, but there are still some out there, then you have a choice where you have um, a 50% joint survivor option. So if, assuming you're married, then you die, your spouse gets 50% of whatever you were getting. And there's no reduction really in your benefit. Uh, if you want your surviving spouse to get 100% of yours, then you're just 100% joint survivor, and then your benefit's going to be reduced. And I've seen it reduced anywhere from 12 to 22, 25%. And then when, of course, you pass away, then your spouse gets the same thing you were getting. They don't get the higher benefit. 
One of the difficulties with that is if you get 100% joint survivor, but then your spouse dies first, then you're stuck. You don't have a you don't have an option of, of adding a different spouse to that the survivor. It's just the one that was there, your spouse at the time you picked that beneficiary designation. So if you're one of those that still has one of those defined benefit plans, remember that. So, but but we depends on the situation whether we recommend 100% joint survivor or 50%. Depends on the other assets. Depends on what family genes there might be. Which one typically might live longer on normal basis not uh considering of course you don't know when an accident may happen and take somebody earlier you never know when somebody could have a heart attack if it wasn't in the family but it was there but just going by family history which one typically would live the longer and based on what you know of that client's health right now if your health your spouse's health which one is typically going to live longer and that's also going to be a part of your decision on on when to take social security but so there's some um, a few little tidbits on the 50%, 100% joint survivor, which are not options when you're talking about a defined contribution plan like a 401k. All right, so talk about joint ownership versus a beneficiary. So many people have their bank accounts, maybe their brokerage accounts. They have it as joint ownership. They'll have their house as a joint, uh, jointly owned house. So you need to understand very clearly the differences between the two main types of joint ownership. You've got tenants in common, and you've got joint ownership with right or survivorship. Now, typically when you're married, you want to have joint ownership with right or survivorship. And that's the way most accounts are set up. If it's your bank account, your checking account, your brokerage account, it's set up joint with right or survivorship, which means if one spouse passes away, the other spouse is automatically the owner. There's no probate involved. It's just automatically in either one of you can act on behalf of the other at any time, which can be a negative for some people. When there starts to be some marital issues and there's a potential divorce down the line, then you, then one spouse gets nervous about what the other spouse may do with this account and empty it out before they have a chance because either spouse can do that. And so you have to understand the the non-restrictions there are with this kind of joint ownership with the right of survivorship. So it also, uh, you need to be careful if it's a parent. So sometimes somebody will have a an older parent who they're taking care of. So let's say a couple of the kids live out of town. One lives in town and that's the one who naturally helps mom take care of her no, dad's gone mom's left that's the typical scenario and you need she needs help with her checking account she needs to make sure somebody else has access to it to help pay bills and do things for for mom well if you set up the account to where it's in joint name it has the same effect joint ownership with the right of survivorship as a spouse would so when you pass on your will may say that everything goes to my my three children equally per capita it all goes to each of them but if this account is owned with the one child guess what that child gets that money now there again you may come back and say yeah but i know they'll give to their brother or sister because they know i wanted to split it up well i've seen it both ways (laughs) it doesn't necessarily happen that way and i'm not sure it necessarily always should so i encourage people to think all right what about this child that you have here that's been sacrificing a lot of their time they've been working with their the mother the other kids come in every now and then but they don't come that often they're not doing the day to day to day care for this uh parent and 
there's also a certain amount of emotional stress that can be if, if that parent starts to get dementia and other things like that. That There's an emotional drain there that's not there for the ones who don't live there. So I would encourage you sometimes, yes, make them a joint owner and make sure there's enough money in that account that it helps pay for some of the, give them at least some financial benefit for having taken care of you for, for years and make sure the other kids know it. Said, so, no, I'm giving them this extra money because uh, they... He, this this child took care of me and they didn't so that can be a positive way to use the joint ownership with rider survivorship but you want to make sure that that's what you want otherwise when you set up the bank account just put a power of attorney on that account so the child who's local can access the funds but they're not joint owner so they don't automatically own they can still access it but they don't automatically own the account and that's uh, just put in the the um Banks should have their own forms to be power of attorney just for that one account. Of course, you we recommend power of attorney, a durable power of attorney for um, people to have for their parent or their um, spouse or one of their children to, to help take care of more than just the bank accounts. But if it's just that one bank account you want to make sure they're set up on, then set up a power of attorney just for that account with the a bank, and they'll let you access that account. Your name's on the account, but you're not the joint owner. So this is a way to avoid probate, and it's it's, but also it avoids your will. So as long as, which is fine, typically at the first death. So the first joint owner passes on, and then you have the spouse that gets it, and that's fine. But now they're sole owner, and because they're sole owner, then they don't have um, any beneficiary on theirs. So it's going to go still based on their will. So if, if you're joint owner and you want to make sure it still avoids probate, then when the one passes on, as long as you don't pass at the same time, then the surviving joint owner would then have to name another joint owner. So if you've got one child or two children, you can actually name them children. Or you can use another document that a lot of people use that we recommend, and that's a transfer on death or a payable on death account. So this is a way to essentially add a beneficiary to a checking account, a savings account, a CD, a brokerage account that you might have with Fidelity or Schwab or someplace like that. Uh, then you ha- you can actually name a beneficiary just like your IRA. So you can name them. I say I name my spouse as primary. I'm going to name my children as contingent beneficiary. And it's an easier way, typically then, because of the transfer and death account, to also name a Persterpes. So you can name the children, but you can name them persterpes so that they get they if they are deceased before you, their children get the deceased child's benefit. But if you don't have that persterpes, as I mentioned earlier in the show today and, and mentioned last week, if you don't have persterpes on there, it's going to be per capita. It's just going to go to whomever the beneficiaries that are still living that are left. So if there were three children, one predeceased you, it's going to go to the other two children. All right. So another thing to keep in mind here would be with um, in-laws. So how do you do in-law? This this one gets confused a lot too. People just don't understand this. So you have a a child and a their spouse. Uh, let's say daughter-in-law, and then you have three children. So you name your child and persterpes. So the child predeceases you, and then you have the the mother of the children. And the children. Well, the money's going to the children, the grandchildren. It's not going to the surviving spouse. Now, more than likely, the surviving spouse is the one that's going to be named the guardian. 
and that's going to be based on their own estate documents. It's going to be named the guardian. And so they'll be able to have access and may control that money, but it's going to be just for the benefit of the kids. It won't be a benefit of themselves, which can be fine. And that may be the way you want it because it could, you could arguably say that, well, no, it was my son who's supposed to make sure his wife was taken care of. My assets are going to my grandkids, not to my, my daughter-in-law. They're going to go right to my grandkids and she can take care of it. I'm fine with that. And you may not be, you may want to have a separate person that, that, and you set up in a trust then to make sure that it's, it's handled the way you want it. If you don't think the daughter-in-law or son-in-law is going to handle the money correctly. And this happens a lot. Uh, we hear this a lot from clients and what they think about the, the competency and the ethics of the, the daughter or son-in-law um, but if you want that to happen, then it's got to be named specifically. If you want your daughter, and we've had many people that say, no, this, this, my daughter-in-law is like a, a daughter to me, a uh, daughter to us. We want to make sure she, she gets the assets as well. But if you want to make sure the assets, then if they get remarried, that the daughter or son-in-law get remarried, that your assets still come back maybe to the, to them for their life. But then it goes to the grandchildren after that uh, then you got to start thinking about our trust we're gonna we're running out of time here for this uh, segment so we'll we'll wrap up this segment talk about how to make sure that those assets go where you want them to go and we get back with the second half of talking money this is certified financial planner professional mike miller your host for talking money I'm pleased to have Ronald Blue Trust sponsor Talking Money to help educate listeners about financial planning so you have the information needed to help you make more informed and hopefully better decisions. When a Ronald Blue Trust advisor meets with prospective clients, their goal is to determine if any of our services are a good fit for them. They don't sell any products like annuities or life insurance and as a fiduciary work to serve your best interest. Perhaps you just need a financial physical from the Everyday Steward Division without any ongoing monitoring or you're about to retire and need to work with the Private Wealth Division to map out a financial path and then help implement and continuously monitor that plan. Ronald Blue Trust Advisors act like your quarterback, coordinating the advice you receive from your accountant, your estate attorney, life insurance agent, and in some instances, even your investment advisor. You can learn more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. 7526. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. So I've had the privilege this week with speaking with several radio listeners, some uh, just by phone where they called and had some questions for me. Had uh, one even late yesterday. I'm surprised we were able to connect, but uh, Maury called and had a, a great question about Roth IRAs. We'll cover that question sometime, either later today or we'll get it at another other time. But uh, it's always nice to, to speak with listeners. I actually met with a, a couple of the, uh, earlier this week, uh, radio listeners, uh, Gene and Debbie. So nice to visit with them some and enjoyed, uh, very much enjoyed getting to know them as, as um, we meet uh, radio listeners. It's always fun and just a lot of great people out there. And, and Gene and Debbie were one of those couples that uh, we really just enjoyed visiting with. And it just seems like we're a good fit and we can help them. So we'll... Um, uh, we'll see how that goes, but it's still 
it's um it's nice that all over the years that i've had this opportunity to speak with so many 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 people that um, have needed help and some just ask a question we answer the question they're done and others we have a chance to sit down with and speak with but there again we're not high pressure not high high sales we're not sales at all uh, so we want to uh, make sure that we're a good fit for you as much as you're trying to find an advisor that's a good fit i don't i don't envy anyone trying to find an advisor because it can be very difficult uh, to find somebody that, that has the ethics that you want, has the expertise you want, and puts all those together and has really their, their fiduciaries that have your best interest at heart. There's a whole lot of people. And there's even some advisors that wear dual hats. They sell insurance and annuities, but they also have a registered investment advisory arm. Um, but uh, they don't tell you when they're taking off one hat and putting on the other. So they can be selling you something, you don't realize it, but their websites say that we're fiduciaries. We're there. We have to do our recommendations that are in your best interest. Well, that's true for part of it, but the other part is selling and and they and they're not uh being as forthright and upfront as they should be for that. So we don't sell any products. We just love to sit down and speak with people and see how we can help. And there's of course you don't know what you don't know. So we've been doing this a long time. We've got great advisory team at our office and we have access of course to the advisory teams across the country with the other offices of Ronald Blue Trust. If we don't know the answer, we can find the answer somewhere for you. And that's, of course, our goal. So before the break, talking about joint ownership versus a beneficiary, uh, both of them would avoid probate. Um, but when you're a joint owner, if one joint owner passes on, then you, the surviving joint owner needs to make sure another joint owner comes in place or they're going to have their own um, um, beneficiary that's set up to that so that make sure it goes to somebody or it's not it's going to go directly. It's going to go based on their will if there's no subsequent surviving joint owner there. And so we were talking a little bit also about the uh, child, the in-law, and making sure that you, uh, if you want to make sure that the in-law gets part of the proceeds for theirs to keep forever, then you have to actually name this, them as a beneficiary. They are not automatically going to be included if it's your spouse and then goes to your child and then your grandchildren. They may be the one that's taking care of the money for your grandkids, um, but it's going to be for the benefit of the grandkids, and they're not going to have any when they're gone, which, as I said, they can be fine. You say, well, if my son or, my son was the one that's supposed to make sure my daughter-in-law was taken care of financially. I'm wanting to make sure my money goes to the my my grandkids. But it's something we just need to talk through with with each client to make sure, and you need to think through with your spouse. And you, but you need to understand how it works. If you don't understand how it works, you, it's very hard to to uh, set things up right because you you may set it up with the way you think is right, but then it's not right. And then also keep in mind we've mentioned joint ownership with right of survivorship, but we also didn't talk about tenants in common. So tenants in common is typically the kind of joint ownership that's between business partners, or somebody may own a rental property with someone else well you own that tenants in common so you want to own it that and tenants in common because you don't want the surviving joint owner to automatically own the whole property you want your half of the property to go to your heirs not to theirs not to this surviving joint owner so when that tenants in common when that person uh, one person passes away then that's going to go through someone's estate uh, so there that's why it's important if you don't have it set up uh, the right way so it, maybe it's in a trust so then it goes to the, the next trustee and so forth if you don't have that set up correctly it's just it's going to have to still go through probate because you own that property and it's got to go through by may by way of probate because there's nobody else that's a surviving joint owner on that so that gets a little a little trickier when you're talking about joint ownership 
tenants in common type of joint ownership. Also, something that's missed a lot is that you have a piece of property that's your personal residence. So if you and your spouse own a piece of property, you need to go online, let's say in Greenville County, go online and check and see how your title is. Virtually all of them are set up, unless you ask for it differently, it's set up as tenants in common. So well, that's no big deal. So I own this property with my spouse, tenants in common. But it also means that it's not going to be an automatic joint ownership transfer. So your half, even though it's owned, this, the other half is owned by your spouse, your half still has to go through probate to get passed on to your surviving spouse. And as long as your will says that your house goes to your surviving spouse, then that's fine. But it still has to go through that, that process. So an easier way to get that done, cleaner way to get that done, would be to check online to see if yours says and or or. If yours says uh, and, that means essentially both of you own it. You both would have to sign any kind of documents in order to refinance, in order to sell the property, you both sign it. So if it's if it's or, then either one of you can do it. It's a and, and you may or may not want that. There's other restrictions to there. That that's where trust then come into play. So if you are concerned about this, then you might put the whole property inside a living trust. You can still access it. You still do whatever you want to with it while you're alive. But then once you're gone, the successor trustee, which could be a spouse is in the property and then you can already have the beneficiaries named inside that document so that if something when something happens to you personal residence but you're the owner of it now it's going to go pass on to your children but that's be set up in a trust so i would encourage you to check online uh call the call the um uh, government office uh greenville county and ask them or right, how is mine set up you can you can find it on, you should be able to find it online to see how your property is is registered but it's probably tenants in common and you would need to hire an attorney uh, may have to pay a couple hundred bucks to get that changed and go from joint with joint uh, tenants in common to joint ownership with right of survivorship uh okay so what about uh second marriages all right, so we've had this situation come up before. It's been quite a few years ago. We had two, two uh, the spouses come in. Both of them were married before. They didn't have any children between the two of them, but they both had children with uh, their previous spouses. So both of them had fairly significant IRAs, and both of them had each other listed as their primary beneficiary. And then each of them had their own children listed as the contingent beneficiary. All right, so it was clear both of them essentially wanted the, the surviving spouse to have access to it, make sure they were taken care of. But then when, when the second spouse passed away, they wanted each of them to go to their own children instead of combining the two and all going to one, uh, one of the parents, one of the spouse's children. All right, well, this can be a little interesting here because it's not required. There's no legal requirement. So in one case, and this happened quite a few years ago, but it, it happened. So we had the clients, they came in and they, the, the husband passed away. So the spouse came in, the surviving spouse came in with her sister and son. And they said, okay, we want to change our beneficiary. We're going we're gonna to move his IRA into to mine, or we're going to move his IRA into my own name. Which they could do, because so or they could, you could leave it as an inherited IRA. There can be advantages and disadvantages to either, but they moved it into their name. But now the beneficiaries are who? The are whom? 
the beneficiaries are the children of the surviving spouse. So the children of the spouse that passed away, they got disinherited. That was not the the intent of the spouse that passed away because they wanted their share to go. It should have been kept separately as an inherited IRA so that it would be in a separate IRA account and maintain the now primary beneficiaries would be the initial owner of that IRA's children so that they could get their share like they're supposed to. Well, I was very uh, disappointed and very clear and said, look, this is not the intent. And they, and I, I can't do anything about it. Um, but they said, well, we have other, we've got other assets that we're taking care of with those, for those children. Well, it's those kind of situations and it's only happened once in, in the 35 plus years I've been doing this. It only happened once that that situation came up, but it happened. And, um, and then it was sometime after that, the second spouse died and, and, um, we had the beneficiaries and you paid it out and, and that's all you knew. You didn't know. We never heard from the, the children of the first spouse to die. So as far as we know, everything was, uh, above board and happened just like it was supposed to happen, but we don't know. Uh, so when you've got second marriages and you got, you know, you know mine, yours and ours and those, all those kind of children, uh, relationships you need to be careful make sure that set up right work with somebody that knows what they're doing and will can think through this with you but not just think through it with you knows how to set it up right so that it gets set up correctly when we get back from the uh, break we're going to talk a little bit about um, beneficiaries uh, ministries and charities and and organizations like that as beneficiaries is that a good idea not a good idea what should you do and who not to name as a beneficiary. We want to talk about that in the final minutes we have of Talking Monday. We'll be right back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust is a company with a vision to see individuals and families practicing biblical stewardship and experiencing freedom from economic fear, bondage, and conflict. They want their clients and their families to enjoy debt-free living, free to answer the call to ministry or whatever their passion is, feeling at peace with their investments and the way they are being professionally managed to help accomplish their financial objectives so they can focus on other aspects of their lives and help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. As a trust company, Ronald Blue Trust Advisors come alongside the next generation to help transfer your values and help you leave your lasting legacy. If you're a business owner, the Business Consulting Division can help you define your company's culture and, very importantly, then help convey that culture to the next generation of leaders in your company. Find out more about Ronald Blue Trust at ronblue.com or 1-800-588-7526. That's 1-800-588-7526. Now back to Talking Money. All right, you're welcome back to Talking Money. We've got just a few minutes left here in the final segment of Talking Money on this uh, beautiful Saturday morning. So glad you're with us today and appreciate all those who listen uh, regularly, even those who listen as they're on their way to Home Depot or Lowe's and are taking their grandkids to soccer practice. We've I've had comments from a lot of different people where they happen to listen uh, to it, So, we, but we appreciate those who listen. And let me know you're listening. It's always nice to when I talk to a listener and say, okay, there is somebody else out there listening. Uh, one thing I, I think I failed to mention, we're talking about making sure that if you have a daughter-in-law, son-in-law, that you want to have access to some funds 
it's not going to be an automatic thing. You have to name them. But if you want to make sure they're taken care of, but you want to make sure also that the uh, if that spouse does remarry and your grandchildren are in that household now, and, and you want to make sure the assets you have there help take care of the daughter-in-law and the grandchildren, but then when the daughter-in-law is either either gets remarried or when she, when he or she gets to a certain age that it goes to the grandkids, um, then you want to set up a trust. So it's a fairly easy way to do that. You have to spend a little money, but it, it's worth it to make sure your assets get where you want them to go. So to make sure that gets taken care of correctly, instead of just giving it to the grand, to the daughter-in-law or son-in-law, you just have them access to it through a trust for a certain length of time. And then you have that pass on to your grandkids uh, when the grandkids are grown, let's say. And then, then, but but if the daughter-in-law never remarries and you want to make sure that he or she she is taken care of, then it's a way to do that as well. But uh, it's not going to be an automatic thing. So don't just assume that your daughter-in-law is going to get it. All right, so who should you not name as a beneficiary. So it's a little dicey to name a minor. So your, your minor is fairly common for people to say it's my spouse and all my children divided equally, but those children may be minors or one of them may be a minor. Uh, so what's going to happen then is it's not going to be paid out to the minor. It's going to be paid out to somebody else who is going to help take care of it for the minor. You know, so you want to make sure it's the right person that does that. Um, but then if if you don't want that minor to get it, 18 or 21, whatever state they're in that says they're now adults and they can get it all at once, if you don't want that to happen, that's where that uh, pass-through trust comes into play where you can uh, name the trust as a beneficiary and then designate how you want those funds to be paid out uh, through that particular document. And who else shouldn't be there? Well, anyone else shouldn't be named as beneficiary if you don't want them to have immediate access to the money. That could be a surviving spouse. That can be one of your children. You may have three children. Two of them are fine. One of them, no, you don't think. They've had alcohol or drug issues or something else, uh, some other kind of mental illness, and you want to make sure they're not taken care of. They're, they are taken care of, but not get the money all at once. Uh, you might have a special needs situation where there's a a uh, child who has uh, is eligible for government benefits and you don't want to get the money directly, you want them to get it into a trust, a special needs trust, so they can still qualify for certain benefits like medical benefits and so forth. Uh, and the money, if they were to receive it all at once, would disqualify them for those benefits. So then uh, that would be a way to, to get around that. So those are a couple, couple uh, types of situations where uh, you really don't want to name that person as the beneficiary. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit. Still talking about beneficiaries, but one of the best ways to make a contribution to your favorite church, ministry, charity, whatever it is, is with your individual retirement account. Life insurance is okay, but life insurance comes tax-free to whomever is going to get that anyway, typically. In vast majority of cases, it comes tax-free. There are some exceptions, but vast majority is tax-free. IRA, unless it's a Roth IRA, then it's going to go, it's going to be taxed to whomever takes out that money. And of course, Roth, this would be different. So you wouldn't want to give a Roth IRA to a ministry or charity because they already don't pay taxes. You want to give them whatever part of your assets that would be normally taxable to a different beneficiary. So you, you would, uh, then you have your, um, IRA set up so that it could be a surviving spouse, and then the contingent beneficiary can be, uh, and partially or all of it, can be a ministry or a combination of them. 
So I encourage people to even set that up separately. You can have many different IRAs as you want to. It's just a little bit of a logistical nightmare sometime, administrative nightmare. But you can set up a separate IRA, still have your surviving spouse as primary, but then have whichever ministries, church, charities you want to get that part of the money, have that those organizations as contingent beneficiary. Now, one of the nice things about that, if you have it in your will and you say, I want so many assets to go to these charities, all right, well, if you change your mind, if you don't want them, well, they go, go back to the attorney and have them draft up an amendment for you and pay them the fee to have that change. Well, so two advantages, at least, by naming the IRA as a beneficiary is I, if I change my mind, it doesn't cost me anything. All I have to do is go in there and and have a change of beneficiary form. We we change the percentages. We change the organizations. We change whatever we want. And even the surviving spouse can say, okay, now I'm surviving spouse. I'm it's my IRA now. That they that surviving spouse can change the beneficiary. So it's not guaranteed again that they're going to name the same ones as you did. But if they want to, then they still and you guys have agreed to it and they keep this beneficiary as, as the same, but then is still, if she finds something, he or she finds something else out later on that says, whoa, we don't really want to support that organization anymore. And I know my, my deceased spouse would not have wanted to either. Then we there again, just get a new beneficiary form, change the contingent beneficiary and you're good to go. You don't have to change that at all. So if people that give in their, in their will, you got to keep in mind, and if they have their kids as beneficiary in the IRA, so the kids are going to pay taxes on that. The the ministry or your church, let's say, as an example, that gets money from your estate, well, that's money that would have come tax-free to your kids anyway, at least the way the tax laws are now, it would come to them tax-free, but if not the IRA. So instead, take that out of your will, change the beneficiary designation on your IRA to have it named as the the charities named in there now the you have to keep track of it because once you're 72 now and you have to start taking out your required minimum distribution uh, that's going to decrease the balance of that so you want to make sure that the balance doesn't get too low that you really wanted to give more than that so you may have to go back in your will uh you might even set provisions up ahead of time that says i want them to get a minimum of this much first from my IRA and then if this is not enough then I want it to come from my regular assets if that's the way you want it but a lot of different ways you can set this stuff up you just got to make sure that you think through it ahead of time but be using the IRA as a way to give to your favorite church ministry charity is ideal to do that because they're not going to pay any taxes on it now, there's And one of the reasons it's set up as a separate IRA, because well, it used to be a bigger concern when we could stretch out that IRA over somebody's lifetime, but you don't want to have to have the, the charity wanting to take money out and they don't take it out in time and we avoid we void your ability to take it out over 10 years. And that can be some sticky things there. So uh, just make sure you you stay track of that. Now, of course, your, your IRA is also the best place to to make gifts while you're alive once you reach age seven and a half. Now that rule didn't change. Once you reach seven and a half, not the year that you turn seven and a half, but the day that you turn seven and a half in that particular year, assets that you contribute after that, then you can do a qualified charitable distribution and take it directly from the IRA to the ministry or charity. 
right? So that's a, that's a great way to do it. But don't do it until the day after you turn. Matter of fact, uh, if you're a client of ours, we're going to tell you if we've had a number of clients this way. So we come up to the end of the year or, or at the beginning of the year, we say, all right, we know you make contributions throughout the year, but this is the year you turn seven and a half. So make the church treasurer a little nervous by not giving anything until you turn seven and a half and give it all out of your IRA. So you might not turn seven and a half till September. Well, don't give any money out of your regular account until September. And once you turn seven and a half, catch up and make a bigger uh, distribution that helps catch up because uh, it qualifies for your required minimum distribution, which, of course, you don't have to make it seven and a half. Uh, but once you get 72, it qualifies for the required minimum distribution. Um, but it still gives you a tax free. And, and now we've talked about this. And you go back to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and you can find some shows. We talked specifically about this. And that's all we talked about because uh, it's a, a, a great way to, to give money. I, there's really not a reason not to do it. You want to do all your contributions out of the IRA. It may not help you, but in this day and age when the standard deduction is so high, it, it really pays to check that out because most people can't tax deduct their contributions because they they're just taking the standard deduction so this is a way for you to bypass the standard deduction and just give money directly to the ministry and be able to tax deduct it because you use the qualified charitable distribution because that comes out on the front of your tax return not on the backside. all right well that was a lot and uh, i tend to start speaking faster when it starts getting close to the end and trying to get all this information if you got questions about your beneficiaries if you got questions about whether or not uh, we can help you run a blue trust our number at the office 800-588-7526 800-588-7526 look forward to speaking to you the next week we'll uh, have another edition of talking money so please join us have a great weekend Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested.